This is Passing Notes from the History of Education Society. In the second episode of a series of four to accompany the May special edition of the History of Education journal, Michael Donay speaks to Johannes Vesbury about his article, Bright Nordic Lights, a revitalized interdisciplinary history of education in the massified higher education of the Nordics. I'll hand you back to Michael for the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you today and to chat a little bit about your article for the special issue of History of Education. Mm, thanks. I'm also very happy to be here and have the opportunity to talk about the history of education in the Nordics. Fantastic. Well, I think a great place to start would be just getting a brief overview of the article. Um, I was wondering if you could give people sort of the quick summary of what you contributed for the journal issue. A brief overview is that I tried to kind of map the field of history of education in the Nordics, uh, identifying at least three phases in its history, starting from kind of a kind of history written by schoolmen for schoolmen to uh, the current situation, which is I describe as a multidisciplinary research field uh, based on the disciplines of education, history, and many more, such as sociology, education, and education policy. Fantastic. Um, and just for our readers who might not be familiar, um, when you say the Nordics, what are we talking about here? Uh, in one way, perhaps we're talking, of course, about some kind of cultural, uh, social construction. But often when you talk about Nordic region, it's about uh, Sweden, Denmark, Finland, Iceland, and Norway. And if you're more into the specifics, you also include these kind of geographic entities, such as the Faroe Islands, Greenland, Sápmi, and Åland. Um, and you mentioned a second ago there that it's a bit of a construction. Um, what are some of the elements that make it make sense to consider these countries or regions together for this context? When I got the question to write this article, I really kind of uh, consider why write this kind of article and isn't just the Nordics some kind of uh, 19th or 20th century uh, construction. But I, I think it makes sense because at least there is uh, a shared history and not least regarding the Scandinavian languages uh, that creates a unity, but there are also other shared historical experiences uh, that makes it useful to, to talk about a field of uh, Nordic history of education. Um, and then so turning to those sort of periods that you mentioned, thinking about the history of the discipline going through a couple of phases, I thought it was really interesting how you focused not necessarily on theoretical trends, but rather on the institutional ones and how they influenced the writing of the history. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about why you made that choice and then what are the institutional periods you identified over the course of that development? Yeah, I think it's partly my background as researcher coming from social history. Uh, I try to kind of prefer to study structures, social uh, economical structures over ideas. So I think it's partly my theoretical inclination. But I think I would also argue, of course, that it's a result of the kind of the Nordic setting in itself, because I guess if the institutional setting remains largely the same. It makes sense to focus on theoretical trends. But as in the case of the Nordics, if the institutional context changes a lot, and we currently also have a wide variety of institutional settings, it 
makes sense to place uh, the institutional setting in the focus of uh, such a kind of presentation. Right. Um, and then in terms of the trends, you'd, you've sort of, I think, identified three different periods of sort of one institutional setting transitions to another and then ends up in this sort of multidisciplinary setting you identified a second ago. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what defines those sort of first two chunks of time? Yeah, it's starting from kind of the first, and I would guess that this history of the history of education in the Nordics has for sure similarities to the history you can see also in other regions and other countries, but you for sure can see a first period in late 19th and early 20th century where really the history of education was produced or written by schoolmen for uh, schoolmen. And that, of course, set the scene for uh, the results of all, all these writings, the, the books and articles written that were really written from the perspective of the school profession, of the teacher uh, profession, highlighting uh, the progress of the Swedish educational system. And I think one of the things that I found really interesting was the discussion you have in the article about organizations outside of the university that played a role in shaping the field. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what those organizations were and the role that they played in shaping this research and writing. Yeah, they started to play an important role during um, the first half, mainly, of the 20th century, because in, like in many other countries, like in the UK, but also in Belgium and Netherlands, uh, various kinds of national organizations were formed and in the kind of the early part of the history of history of education in the nordics these national organizations were quite important and it included like the association for the swedish history of teaching the finnish society for school history the swedish association for school history in finland and also the association for school and educational history in Denmark. So there were lots of these kind of national organizations. And since the number of universities in the Nordics, uh, there were quite few of them and the disciplines of education and the disciplines of history were really small. Uh, the production of these national organizations were really important. And I think I mentioned in the article something like that the Swedish association produced like 100 volumes uh, in the first half of uh, the 20th century, while uh, the number of uh, dissertations, doctoral dissertations, were just a couple. So uh, they played a really important role, like in terms of volume. Uh, and it's interesting you should mention the Swedish examples there. I definitely got the feeling from your article, and I think you might have mentioned it even explicitly, that Swedish institutions play a really prominent role in a lot of this historiography and sort of research into the Nordic history of education more generally. Um, and as someone who's sort of coming completely from an outside perspective, is there a particular reason why the Swedish institutions might be more prominent than, say, other institutions elsewhere? So I think there are several explanations. Of course, it, it's partly because of the relative size of higher education in Sweden, uh, which kind of is a link to the general population of Sweden, that Sweden has more students, like more than 400,000 students in Sweden, while there is more like, more like 300,000 student students in Denmark. 
But I think if you look at the institutional setting, you see a, a few reforms that really, you can say, has been beneficial to history of education research in Sweden. Uh, we have uh, the 1977 reform, which placed teacher training at the universities, at higher education institutions. And as in many other countries, teacher education had the tradition of history of education, teaching and uh, research. Uh, we have in Sweden had a relatively supportive grant agency, which actually in the early, uh, in the early 21st century in 2001, they actually mentioned that history of education was part of the field of educational research. And as such kind of eligible for uh, grants, research grants. And that has, of course, quite a lot of effect. It funded three graduate schools, actually. And I would also say a third reason that for some political reasons, uh, history of education also became a required part of teacher training in 2011. So there are these kind of few political institutional things that proved to be uh, beneficial for, for the research field in Sweden that in some respects lacks in the other North and I can see how paying attention to those institutional contexts makes that really clear in a way that if you were just looking at theoretical trends might not be as apparent. Yeah, and I think it, it is kind of striking when you look, for example, at, at what kind of positions exist as the university. So, for example, as a result of this reform in of the teacher training in 2011, uh, new positions as lecturer in history of education was appointed. Uh, at various universities in Sweden. So you can really see that link quite nicely. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, I'm curious though, you obviously do spend some time talking about theoretical trends and developments in methodology. And I was wondering if you could sort of give us a, at least a hint of what some of those trends in the last 20 or 30 years might look like in this area. Yeah, I, th I think that's a really interesting uh, question. And of course, I guess the Nordic field is affected by general trends in educational research and historical research and history of education as a field in, in general. So, of course, I guess those that you also would mention, like the linguistic turn, uh, some kind of rise of what's sometimes called the new cultural uh, history of education, for example. But in my article, I, I highlight also that there are some kind of specific Nordic features that I, I'm not sure how well known that they are outside of the Nordics. For example, uh, what's sometimes called the Swedish curriculum theory has had a great impact on history of education research in Sweden. I guess you don't know what... Uh... I don't. My next question would be, what is that theory? <laughs> so, no, it's a theoretical framework for... Uh, it's like inspired by Bernstein and others, uh, a framework for studying how goals, content, and the methodology of educational processes are shaped in specific social and cultural uh, contexts. And it's been really influential and uh, inspired all kinds of historical research into like early modern rhetoric education, 19th century school inspection, and even like 21st century teacher training reform. So I think that's an important trend that also I think is not so known in other 
Um, and I th this just occurred to me that I probably should have asked this question a little bit earlier on, but when we're talking about history of education in the Nordics, does that just mean people working on Nordic topics, or is there also historians of education who are based in the Nordics and using some of those frameworks, but looking at education in other countries or in other contexts outside of the Nordics? So I think it's a good way to, de to define the Nordic field. It's that for sure it's a Nordic field that takes place in the Nordic countries, Nordic uh, regions and Nordic uh, uh, geographical entities. But for sure it's, it's a field that also addresses other geographical areas. Uh, and there are quite a few that are, are more important than others. For example, the relationship between uh, the Swedish uh, educational institutions and the German, of course. Uh, sometimes the 19th century in Sweden is, is actually called the, the German century because the, the German influence could be felt so clearly in all kinds of social, cultural and educational service. So the relationship between Sweden and German states, for sure, there are quite a few that deals with issues regarding uh, Great Britain. Uh, so, it's, and of course, if you talk about post-war realities, the relationship between uh, the Nordic countries and the U.S. Uh, concerning, for example, scholarships uh, and various mechanisms or processes or of translation, transformation, and uh, reception of ideas, for sure. Mm -hmm. So when you look at it, it is both focused in the Nordics, but then that, of course, brings it out into these broader transnational connections. Cool. Um, so I'd love to turn now to a, a slightly more speculative question, which is, as you look at this historiography, what sort of future paths or developments do you see it? Like, what direction, basically, do you think it's headed in or what directions? Um, and are there any of those directions that you're particularly excited about that you would love to see people pursue further? Uh, there are so many of these, uh, of course. Uh, but I, I think also in the future, since history of education in the Nordics is so often based at departments of education linked to teacher training, I think historical studies of educational policy and textbooks will remain important for the development of the field. So I think that's, I'm quite excited about that. I think there are lots of uh, opportunities to continue uh, cooperation with, for example, the emerging field of history of knowledge, uh, their interest in kind of the social production and circulation of knowledge is something that I think historians of education can be really inspired by. And I think thirdly, at least myself, I'm really interested in uh, the connection that historians of education can have with economic history of education, where so much interesting stuff is done on really kind of the, the social and cultural context of education. Um, and I think my last question about the, the article, or at least this part of it, um, is in doing this work and writing up this article, is there anything you've learned, whether it's the lens of analysis or framing of a question that you think would be useful for other historians of education who might not be working specifically in the Nordic context, but might help them think about their own research? I think this is a really difficult, uh, <laughs> really difficult question. <laughs> but, but I think partly, as historian of education, we of course know about the importance of context, and we always try to present a context in order to understand the object that we are studying. 
but writing uh, this article has really shown how context dependent also our research is how it really kind of grows from certain settings and is in that way shaped also by it so in that sense i see it also as an encouragement to try to understand the context that we are working in to make sure we can find some kind of fit with that context in order to promote our own ventures in various ways I do think one of the exciting things about this anniversary issue is it has prompted a lot of people to reflect not just on the field, but on their own practices as well. So it's interesting to sort of hear the institutional focus of the article leading into that kind of reflection about how to place your own work. Yeah, and it's also interesting, and I think that will also be more evident from the entire special issue, that you can see these kind of gaps or differences between different research strands, between different research groups. And I think that raises interesting questions of how to address those gaps and whether there is certain potential in the differences between these strands and something that we could kind of use as basis for future research. Definitely. Um, and speaking of that future research, we spent a lot of time today talking about other people's research and your sort of synthesis of that. But I'd love to take a little bit of time to talk about your own research and the projects that you're currently working on. Um, are there any that you're particularly excited about or have really been enjoying recently? So first, it's a project that I've been involved in, in for a couple of years now on uh, regional variations in schooling. And we are starting to complete a quite unique data set on regional variations in enrollments, among other things, across a number of European countries. So I'm really kind of interested in starting to work on the qualitative aspects of those quantitative uh, data. So I think that's kind of the, the main thing I'm looking forward to, to do now that I at a, at a point of time where I will have more time to do research. <laughs> yeah, um, I, that sounds really fascinating. Can you talk a little bit more? Are you, is part of the project to generate these data sets or is it about collection? Sort of what has the process been like? So the process has been that we're collected all kinds of statistical data uh, on the rise of uh, primary schooling, mass schooling from 1840 to, to 1940 and try to harmonize this data so that our measurement of enrollment, school enrollment, are kind of similar across uh, countries. And then you can see really interesting regional variations and how they changed over time, not only within national educational systems, but also across national educational systems, which raises interesting questions about border effects uh, and also the role of the region uh, in the rise. Of yeah, I can see why you'd be really excited to start digging into that. That sounds fascinating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. It's been great to hear a little bit about your own research and about the article you've written. And I really hope people get the chance to go check it out. Thank you very much. Passing Notes is a production of the History of Education Society UK. Our executive producer is Heather Ellis, and this episode was written by Michael Donay and produced by me, Seda Ali. You can find a transcript of this episode, as well as more information about our events, publications and conferences at our website, historyofeducation.org.uk. 